0: What are you going to do about it? You can either get out of it now, or um, I mean, you can do your best to get out of it now, um, or you can wallow in it. And wallowing's not going to get you anywhere, man. Welcome to Creative Insanity.
1: Creative Insanity. Hey, my name is Servant, I'm a rap artist, producer, and other things from Alberta, Canada, and today my guest is Ben Wallace from the United Kingdom. Ben is a professional marketer, an aspiring comedian, and an all-around creative guy. Not only is he an excellent bloke to adopt a word from his backward country, he's also a legit good guy and a good friend this episode is a really solid conversation that starts off with his trials with chronic fatigue syndrome when he was in university to where he is now, working full time for Michaela and Jordan Peterson, two very influential podcasters to say the least. And true to the Peterson insistence of purpose and meaning, we dive into what it means to live your life in service to an overarching aim. Thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen. It's a great way to show gratitude for this free content. It's very encouraging to me, and it helps to introduce my podcast to other listeners. Now, without further ado, let's slap into it. Ben Wallace, welcome to Creative Insanity.
0: I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on your podcast, Ben's Learning Lounge, which I don't, as of this recording, the episode hasn't come out yet, but we had such a good time. We, I had to get you on my podcast, so I appreciate that. Um,
0: I know. I felt like that podcast could have gone on for many, many hours. I mean, we were lucky (laughs) to cut it off when we did.
1: Yeah, well, we did, and then we kept talking, which is something I I often do with my guests a little bit, but we, we definitely went on, and I'm glad we scheduled this. You have a very interesting story, and what you do is very interesting. And I don't know which you'd like to start with, but I'm really interested in diving into your story as someone who struggled with chronic fatigue syndrome because that is a monolithic challenging thing and I want to know more about that and the role that it played in you developing your creativity and all that I probably phrased that poorly but I just want you to jump in all right so how did <laughs> no it start no worries
0: <laughs> bloody hell that's a good question so um to start off I mean I I've always been quite a creative lad I mean I've I've always been into my like uh my arts and, and primarily things like drama. I've always did things like drama um, and poetry and all that type of thing. And um, it became a little bit more stifled. And we can go into more of the, the past past sure. in the future. Yes. Um, but we, uh, I had I sort of encountered an issue perhaps maybe around four years ago. I was um, in my first year of university. Everything was going peachy as far as I felt. I wasn't particularly stressed or anything like that. I was actually really enjoying myself. Um, it was Lancaster University uh, a brilliant university I'd I'd highly recommend it Um, and unfortunately as simple as this I mean I was on the way to the Lake District because I remember the specific day I believe it was December the 3rd 2016 um, when I was on the way to the Lake District which is sort of a beautiful nature uh, reserve place in, in the north of the UK with some friends and when I woke up that day I just felt immensely tired like ridiculously tired. And I remember thinking, oh, this is strange. Have I like, you know, come down with the flu or something. I didn't want to overthink it. I thought I'll have a sleep on the train and then I'll feel better. Um, so I was with my friends. And as I got uh, onto the train, I was already beginning to have like migraines. I felt dizzy, just not right at all. And not in a way that I have felt before. It, it was like feeling, it's like my bones felt heavy. My mind felt heavy. I was struggling to have a straight thought. And you might be thinking, well, how come are you still going on this trip? But I thought like, well, I've never had something like this before. Perhaps it's just a spare little pass. Yeah,
1: maybe you'll get over it quickly or it's COVID. Yeah. You, know, you never know what it was. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, COVID <laughs> before COVID was cool. Yeah. Um, and it carried on. And I remember sleeping on that train and I woke up and I felt probably worse than I did beforehand. Um, and... It's strange to sort of explain, but it just didn't go away. Like each day it carried on. And in fact, it got worse after about a month and I was panicking about it. I saw doctors about it. I think I saw in the span of about six months, I saw about eight doctors, wow. different doctors because they don't listen <laughs> when you say you're tired, <laughs> you know, they, they think we'll get your blood work checked. I had my blood work checked on four different occasions and nothing flagged up as a problem. Um, they recommended that i slept more and i was less stressed so i thought that's brilliant advice i never thought of that before
1: (laughs) yeah um
0: so it was just problem after problem like i said i had incredible dizzy spells um it's kind of a, a little bit like and i've described it in a blog before of if you imagine you've got this sort of huge weight pressing down on your head and a little bit like those you know like kind of tom and jerry cartoons when I remember seeing before, like Tom would have like matchsticks in his eyes, holding them up as they're trying to close.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That 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 bit of the cartoon I felt is very, a very, very good explanation of what chronic fatigue syndrome feels like, and what a lot of people don't know is how connected it is to other parts. I mean, as I brought up before, you get things like migraines, you get. post-exertional malaise, which means you can do just a little bit of exercise and it can take you out for about four days, which happened to me. Wow. I felt I often had to sleep for like 18 hours a day sometimes, which is, I mean, it's it's not human. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, it's
1: excessive. That's a lot.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and then not being taken seriously by doctors was, was a, a thing on top of that too. So as you can imagine as well, it's horrible for anybody to go through something like that. When you already know that you're quite a creative individual, you've got a, you feel like you've got a lot of potential. You've began off in life uh, at 18. You're at university. I mean, a lot of people who get this condition are actually middle-aged women. That's that's sort of a very common hmm. age for people to get it, like postmenopausal type
1: of thing. Interesting.
0: So, to have it at the age I did felt very isolating and um, scary, um, to say the least. So, uh, it was certainly been quite an adventure my university experience um, over over that the next three years
1: yeah what a challenge um that's a challenge that i don't think a lot of people get the experience of having certainly not so young i get that as people get older you know we experience more tragedy in life like the older you get you the more crap you see and you're like wow i sure have it good or you get the you know your knees cut out from under you like it happens to people but to be so young and to have to deal with something so massive, even just from a time standpoint like forget about the side symptoms, just how much less time you have to engage with life yes to get your work done to to pursue your studies but yet you did your program at Lancaster. what were you studying?
0: Uh, I studied marketing and advertising and I had a minor in English language and media studies so it was right. quite the certainly quite the field um <clears throat> yeah, you, you make a good point there about the limited amount of time because, you know, you have a couple of options. And I notice in a lot of threads, a lot of people like to self-victimize themselves. And I understand why. I mean, bloody hell, if when you're in that circumstance and as you mentioned, you kind of feel everything against you and, you know, you have your, your knees kicked underneath you, um, you certainly are going to feel rather like the world is, you know, not doing you the best. You've been given mm-hmm. a bad hand and you just want to shake your fist up at the sky. And the issue was, is that it just doesn't get you anywhere. I mean, you get some sympathy of people, which is nice, but I never really wanted sympathy. I felt like I wanted to still be something and I wanted to prove something to myself that I can get through it. And um, it meant that I wanted to persevere And in the little time that I would have throughout the day when I could. And I wouldn't see people for days and days at a time because talking to someone for about half an hour could take me out for the next three hours. Uh, wow. Was was the, That's not an exaggeration. That was like how I calculated in my head. I thought if I talk to someone today for about half an hour, I need to plan maybe a three-hour nap break.
1: Wow. So
0: yeah. Um, yeah, it meant that I had to very much condense what I wanted to do in the short period of time, which as you can imagine, didn't lend itself very much to the additional creative pursuits that I wanted to take on in addition to my degree.
1: How did you feel about that? What was your? Did you experience any existential crisis at the time? Were were you feeling like? like Yeah, I
0: I was. I was heavily depressed. I mean, that's that's for certain. I mean, I think I've already got some kind of family history of depression, so that was always kind of in the background. But Mm -hmm. it was uh, never as bad as it was when the fatigue symptoms came in, because when you're a person, and I think many creative people are. Who almost judge your success by the amount of work you can do? Right. Um, such a barrier as that can certainly cause you to become very judgmental about yourself, even if it's something which you can't control. Yeah. So
1: judgmental about yourself. Yeah. I I I imagine so. I mean, I think a uh, a person could easily develop resentment for the world, their situation, jealousy of others who don't have the same kind of challenges. Yes. I mean, I mean heck. I've experienced all of those things, you know, resentment, uh, judgment, and jealousy in various degree, not having such a gargantuan challenge in my life. And so to, to be under that extra heavy blanket just might make it worse. But I mean, I think it seems like all that intensity, all that challenge, I know that you eventually started to kind of work through it and find something when did that start to happen when did like because that seems like at your worst you were sleeping 18 hours a day sometimes and yes when did it start to get better i know i don't think it's, you're totally over it right like is it still a ghost of your past kind of thing or
0: it's it's a little bit of a ghost yeah i'd say it's still about 10 percent there but um when you're at that stage i mean you know you, you, you count your blessings you know what i mean it's not mm-hmm. exactly I can live a life now, so I don't particularly complain about it. Um, but when I started to get better, um, it's a good point. I actually wanted my second year to be uh, a study abroad year. That became about by fluke. Uh, my friend told me to go to a meeting about it. And uh, huh. I was like, well, I can't go to a meeting about it because my course is not study abroad. And she's like, no, just slip in and, you know, do you a little bit of charm. And I'm sure that'll work something out for you. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So anyway, I... I uh, there was 65 people applied to go to Vienna and two of us got it. So I was pretty amazed at getting that. (laughs) Um, So I had a a year planned for for my second year to be in Vienna. And and honestly, the big pull for that was because I felt like being in a different scenario and a different environment could potentially help my brain out because I'm very aware of the issues that can be caused in routine and pattern and, you know, if every time I wake up and I'm in the same bathroom, I'm going to have the same negative thoughts. You know, I'm going in the same bed. I'm going in the same circles in my head. So um, it, it I felt like that was going to be a big help for me. And bloody hell, it was a big help for oh, me. Oh, good. Like, the, the, the power the brain has to help itself when you give it just a little bit of what it needs, you know? Like when I was with supportive people and I was in a new environment and it was beautiful and it was sunny, I mean, Jesus Christ, anyone in the UK knows. I mean, to be fair, you live in Alberta, so I'm sure you know yeah. too, but. well
1: actually, Alberta gets quite a bit of sunshine. We just get a lot of winter and like, we get, a, we get a lot of everything. I don't know, I guess it depends where in Alberta, but yeah, I get a lot of snow, we get rain, we get storms, we get everything, but on like per capita, we get more sunlight than like our neighbors in British Columbia. British Columbia is probably more analogous to the UK, particularly in like Vancouver area. There's a lot of rain there and clouds. And I did live there for a couple of years, and I remember just being perplexed at the lack of sun. But Vienna, Vienna has lots of sun, right?
0: Oh, Vienna was beautiful for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, just to give perspective, I live in the most rainiest part of the UK and my university was in the second most rainiest part of the UK. <laughs> so like anything, yeah. anything was better than that, you know. Um, so surrounding myself with great people and so on and, uh, and, you know, there was there was new opportunity as well. I mean, I met people who um, who kind of wanted, you know, I had little business opportunities with them that we would work on together. And I started working in a kindergarten in Austria that was only part time. I only had to do Uh, eight hours a week and um, Hmm. they paid pretty well over there I had no experience teaching but um, because I was from England they thought that to be quite a prestige so I didn't want to tell them I'm from the north and that my accent isn't exactly the most (laughs) classic I don't want to give that away Um, but that helped lift my spirits a lot and I think once you start getting yourself in a positive mindset um, even if your physical symptoms are awful you can Almost started to transcend them a little bit, a little bit how, you know, I believe monks can do when they feel pain and they begin to meditate, they can kind of bring themselves out of it. I think it helped brought me out of it a lot. And it was from that that uh, I began to improve and, and get a lot better and started working out again. Um, but it still took me another couple of years until that really started to, to pay off. Um, and now, now it's like I don't need to nap or anything, I sleep at night. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I'm doing all right for myself.
1: Yeah, no, it's really good. What really stuck out to me is the environmental change. Because um, that's something that resonates with me. I have found almost like the only kind of change that matters in habit formation for me, like almost the only thing is environment. Um, a good example is my studio space here. I have my keyboard out. I can just sit down um, behind me over there. I've got my microphone that I oh sorry it's right here now but it's usually over there (laughs) (laughs) and I've got my screen I just turn it on and I can start writing lyrics I can get recording everything boots up really quickly it's just a really quick access if I'm in this room I can start doing what I want to do with incredible ease if I have a cover on the keyboard it's like one step harder Um, having a whiteboard right here you know like that's useful for me as well having the space reflect creativity and be interesting this this has done more to make me creative than all of the I got to get up early and, and get some work done. Yes. all of the oh man I got to like make some extra time here it just doesn't nothing works except for changing my environment and I mean obviously your social environment plays a big role too like who are you talking to who are you spending time with for me I've got a rule that I really I really only talk to people um, that I admire to Like not, like I'm not being like, no, I'm not talking to you, but I mean like, I really only engage with friendship with people that I admire. And that's just a hard rule. If I don't admire them for something, it's, there's a lot of people and a lot of fish in the sea. So if you're constantly you, surrounded by that, it hopefully you. Do you deal with you.
0: many people who self-victimize themselves?
1: I used to. I was one hmm. of them. Um. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of teenagers, for instance, have that proclivity because life is hard when you're a teenager, you know, you don't know anything and victim status is a way to get sympathy and it was for me too, you know, like the suffering artist is a bit of a a trope or or cliche, right? But it's it's a way you can get sympathy because if nobody likes your art, I mean maybe they could still feel sorry for you and that's something i don't know what about yourself
0: no i think that's a good point i mean people are always happy to like stuff out of pity i mean (laughs) now mums are always going to be there right (laughs) um yeah no uh i did i did used to hang around with people like that but i didn't realize i was hanging around with people like that until i started to drop them because it really is like that metaphor what is it about um Being like crabs in a bucket, they kind of pull each other down, right back into the bucket. Absolutely. Oh, man. You just end up – you don't get anywhere because whenever you do something positive, they don't care about it. They want to talk about something else. Um, Or, you know, when you do something negative, they want to talk about what they've done that's been negative. And whenever you get an opportunity, I was always getting talked out of it. And, you know, what would happen is we would end up in these circles where – let me give you a good example actually yeah. i i was friends with somebody and um the first time i met them this should have been a warning sign from the start right i met them at a party uh, and uh they came up to me i had like a, a drink in hand and i felt quite positive and i met them and they go ah like a big sigh like that and i went mm. oh you know you're right because i feel like i get quite empathetic when people are down and they said uh, yeah it's just um sometimes the state of the world just gets me down. Like I was looking at the news today and it said something like, I don't know what they said. It was like 33 people died in a bus in India. I just wonder, you know, like how does the world manage to be like that? And then I started talking to them, genuinely saying like, well, you know, obviously negative things happen, but we have to build up. And then they started talking me down like, yeah, but you don't know all the problems in the world and ah. there's so many negative things. And, you know, and, and I started thinking, well, yeah, they've got a point. I suppose I don't know everything. And, You know, I started talking to them more, and I, you know, I was 17. I didn't know the red flags. And uh, before I knew it, I became like a negative Nancy, you know, and everything's bad. And this, you know, why do anything? Because there's no positivity in the world. And um, yeah, it, uh, it just wasn't a good space. And I'm glad that I kind of snapped out of that and realized, right, okay, this person isn't the best for me. And whenever they had a problem, and when so many people have a problem, and people with chronic fatigue syndrome do this too, is that they just want to point the finger. Mm. And it's like, look, it's nobody's fault, man, that you're in this situation. It's not your fault, it's not anyone else's fault, but what are you gonna do about it? You can either get out of it now, or um, I mean, you can do your best to get out of it now, um, or you can wallow in it. And like, the wallowing's not gonna get you anywhere, man. It's no. really not. So I, I, I have It's just fun to wallow resentment.
1: sometimes. Say again. I say it's just fun to wallow sometimes, like there's there's a there's a kind of I'm right. Like the the negative thoughts that a lot of people have, like that I've had too. Like man, you know my music career is never going to amount to anything and stuff like that. There's a sweet secret solace that you take in the thought that you're right, and it's basically superiority. I am right. The world is wrong. And I might be suffering, but at least I'm right. And that is a form of pride, you know, that negativity can become like this yeah, it's like a something, like a trophy. It's something that you people, some people carry around, like, well, you know, I'm a pessimist, but I'm right. But I think yes. that in reality, you know, the placebo effect, even like positive thinking aiming aiming towards something high aiming towards something good increasing your likelihood of achieving that that fact alone is you know it's very and a big encouraging reality for positivity like it's going to make things better even if let's say the negative's true sometimes you've got to aim higher and it's going to make things yeah it's just going to make things better i don't know what else to say about that
0: no i agree though it's It's a very powerful thing to do that and to actually aim at that genuinely. Um, And I definitely wish more people did that because there's no surprise now that we live in a culture of a lot of um, self-victimization and people like to wallow in it, as you said, as I think there is indeed a pride in it and uh, a feeling of righteousness. And it's, it's a safety net too, because if anything goes wrong in your life, if someone kicks you off your perch a little bit, then you can nicely land back into your little depressive hole and you can you know wallow in that a little bit and you can go oh poor me so it's okay to do that sometimes i think it's all right if you want to have a little complain or you know things aren't going your way but once you start to like manifest that and you start to really that becomes your only frame of reference then you've messed up somewhere along the way and i think that you've lost your individuality a little bit to the to the so they're great to wallow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And to bring it back to the social aspect, there's people who will reflect that, right? And you just got to avoid those people. And it seems like that you getting a change of environment, um, you know, Vienna, getting some sunlight, it, it basically kick-started you in a good direction. And and then you maintained that. I imagine like diet and a lot of other things were tried yes. and there's... pro. I know that actually, there's a really good podcast with you, and I forget her name who who hosted you.
0: Oh, Raylan um, Nagle.
1: Uh, Raylan Agle? Rayla okay. Well, the the two of you have a really good discussion about chronic fatigue syndrome, and about you give a lot of tips about how for people to get out of that. And while it's not, it's not really the focus of my podcast as much. It's really good context for, I think, perspective. For people who are creative, who have aspiration to do anything, if you understand that someone else has such a massive Herculean struggle, it you can look at your own life with a new frame, like with a, with a new set of eyes, with gratitude, hopefully, right? So, yes. So then kind of coming out of that stuff, in what ways—tell me a bit more about how you are creative and maybe also into the line of work that you found yourself doing as a, as a marketer and whatnot—
0: yeah, for sure. So, um, in ways of creativity, I mean, I still managed to do my little bits while I was at my illest. I mean, mm. you know, when you've got problems, there's a lot of ways you can get that out, and I think you know you can do that quite quite nicely in rap. And I like listening to your music because you're you're very good at um, getting that out in a meaningful way. Um, Thank you. I used to do that in bits and pieces with poetry, which I enjoyed at the time. Um, but then I kind of moved on to bringing that into marketing. And, um, the thing I hate about the general, uh, look at marketing is like, Oh, you're just trying to sell me things like, <laughs> you, you know, you just want to sell like me some spam ham. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I hate all that. Honestly, like the, the thing I like about marketing is when you get something that you think people will like, and you want to show people who might like it, that they might like it. Um, so that's what I try a channel and there's lots of creative ways that you can bring things to people in ways that they will actually enjoy I mean people tune in every year to watch the bloody Super Bowl commercials right I mean hmm. that's a massive thing and people love it and uh, I, I want to um, create things that people want to want to consume so I kind of started off by doing marketing for if you've heard of like uh, those little uh, TED conferences you can have like yeah, TEDx
1: Ted, TEDx yeah. yeah I've I've Definitely listened to countless TED-related lectures.
0: Yes, huh. me too. It became an addiction. Huh. <laughs> um, so I did some marketing for for my local university. One of those, and you know, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because when you have something like that and you've got a little bit of a budget and you want to, I only had to get 100 seats, and there's 15,000 people on campus. I'm like there's so much opportunity here like what can i do to bring people in you know so i started like hosting little events to like give people sneak peeks of what it would be like i did these like mini courses of like uh giving people the chance to do some public speaking and things for for it Hmm. um so just kind of little ways to make people feel more confident i mean that's kind of how i like to channel my creativity is is helping out other people in fun ways so i do it in my podcast um i did it then i uh, like people to enjoy, I did stand-up comedy for a little bit too. Right, so yes. I like people getting something from that, you know. Um, so there's there's been a variety of ways. And, and what kind of the, the sort of direction I took was um, I really wanted to do work in something more meaningful, right? Because, you know, like I said, nobody really wants to market
1: spam ham. You said that meaning and purpose is something that's rather important to you. And I want you to talk about that a bit. Meaning and purpose. How does how does that incorporate into your life?
0: Oh yeah, well that's a brilliant question, and I'm constantly preaching about meaning and purpose to my friends, and it's one of the reasons why I'm I'm already a fan of your work, um, because it's such a staple of it. I mean, I cannot do something that I'm not passionate about, and I've thought about that statement before, and how privileged that sounds. I think to say that because I don't think everyone gets the opportunity to say that. To be fair, right? Um, but I maybe put it this way i can't do a great job in something that i don't feel passionate for because i get bored of it very easily or i think well why am i doing this for this person i don't even like the cause i don't you know when i worked in retail i was very rebellious because um i didn't like the bosses i didn't like the job i didn't care (laughs) about any of it i would you know i would steal little bits of cakes when i could when you know in, in the uh they would say, don't take any cakes home. But, you know, they would be in the in the stash and nobody took them that day because it's the last day they were available. And I thought, take some cake home. <laughs> I deserve it. So I get a little bit, I think I get a little bit agitated when it's something I don't care about. Um, and that that's very much moved my direction because um, I, I've always known that I'm going to either be an entrepreneur or work for someone who's in a cause that I very much appreciate. And um, I really don't know how people do it, Spencer. I'm wondering what you think, but um, do you think you could like honestly work for like, like Adidas and believe in the cause, for example?
1: No, no, I I have, I resonate deeply with what you're saying about base. It's like, it sounds privileged in a way like, I just want to do what I want to do. I got to care about it for me to do it. But uh, I think that it's a very honest way of living. There are things that you might not want to do that you have to wrap your head around if they're part of your meaning and purpose. So like if my work shriveled up, because I do, my main moneymaker is videography for clients and doing advertisements and story-like narrative videos and testimonials and like that kind of thing. And I do some production work. I do produce and do music engineering too. But if all that dried up and I had to get a job at the pulp mill or something like that, I think that I would have a really hard time. But the only thing that would pull me through is reminding myself that I'm providing for my family, like what I'm doing, this is what I got to do right now. You know, even though I want to be artsy fartsy with all my time, I've got to get the grit under my nails and do something to put food on the table for my kids so that it's engaging with purpose, you know? And I think that when you are young, working retail, I worked retail as well. I felt the same way. I worked at a bookstore and I love talking to people about books. I would, that was the part that I liked because yeah, we're, we're talking about things that are fun. But then when it came to like, uh, I don't know, design, changeovers, mark merchandise stuff, like selling blankets and whatnot, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse and my work suffered. And ultimately I lost that job because I couldn't hold it down because I was doing great in the areas I liked and poorly in the areas that I didn't like. I think it's a it's a blessing and a curse. It's just that you got to be able to incorporate whatever you're doing into your meaning and purpose or you're going to go crazy. But I think what that implies yes. is you have to have an ultimate aim of some sort, right? And do you have that?
0: I think so. I think I think my ultimate aim is to and it's a very, I suppose low resolution aim but it's it's to help others in a way that I feel I can help them whilst being proud of myself at the same time you know hmm. I I wanna my goal in life primarily is to um, I suppose my goal in life is to uh, it's a very difficult thing to articulate isn't it I suppose I've never never articulated it before. But glad, it is. To, I asked. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. But it, I think, trying to articulate it because it's in my head is to say that I want to, I want people to, feel. I want to improve everybody's day. That'd be a nice, simple way of summing it up. I want to improve everybody's day, in a way that I feel, I can deliver successfully. Because I don't want to show up somewhere and do a bad job of it and make everyone feel worse. I think I'm a, I'm quite a people pleaser type of person um so i feel like i'm quite giving but i try and do it in a way that also boosts my own self-esteem too so that's why i would do things like stand-up comedy right mm-hmm. and i'm happy to take a dignity hit for it too that's another thing i don't know if you're like this in conversations but um one thing i've always noticed with myself is that if i'm talking with people if things go silent or something i'm happy to take a punch at myself or uh or to take some um it takes some jokes joke and flack if it right. helps move the conversation forward, right? So I don't know if you're like that, but that that's something which I've noticed is integral to me. And I thought, I need to stop doing that. And then I thought, no, I don't want to stop doing that. It's helping <laughs> the situation and I don't feel bad about it.
1: Yeah, like some self-depreciating humor or something. Yeah, well, for me, yeah. I was a class clown. This was about the only useful skill I learned out of high school, which was, how to make people laugh in a way that was appropriately timed. Because, you know, you could be a good, a bad class clown where you're just focusing all the attention on yourself, where you're like, the teacher says one thing, and, oh, I can get a joke in there. It's kind of like a predatory form of humor where you're trying to capitalize on every moment and situation because it's like aggrandizing yourself. But what I learned in high school was there's a balance. Like, there's that right amount of levity that you can insert into a situation or a conversation to, yeah, hopefully help move things forward to lighten the load a bit for people to relax and take the edge off. And I mean, it's a very valuable and important people skill, but it does take humility and I'm not always good but at it.
0: Why do you think you want to take the edge off other people?
1: Well, you could, it, you could say, you know, I'm conflict averse, which I think is, as you said, a low resolution. That's a low simple way of looking at it. Like, I don't want there to be problems. But I think the deeper issue is that I want people to be happy too. You know, I want everyone to be having, like, we're all in it together. It would just be nice if we could have a bit of fun along the way. I really yes. don't, I don't like misery, you know?
0: No, that's, that's, that's a really good thing that you picked up on there. I want people to have fun along the way. And so many people are too serious. I think that's a big part of it. Because I find myself in professional meetings, I'm often the first one to start cracking jokes. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, oh, quite often, it's because I want to lower the, lower the <laughs> uh, the formality a little bit. Because I think, I think I've got this mental image that everything's a little bit of a of a fun game before we die type of thing, and we should make the <laughs> most of it while we've got it, and we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. So I think you've touched on something important there, and I think that's a big part of why I um why I want to make other people feel better because I think when people tend to get up tense, is because they, uh, um, they sense that something very deep and important is happening that maybe perhaps isn't, you know, maybe they got a job interview and maybe I'm the interviewer. So, right. you know, when that's been the case, I've often tried to lower the, lower the formality a little bit. And, um, you know, I think, I think I just want people to chill out and realize that everything's fun and games until we die. And that's not making light of people's struggles, by the way. I think we all have real struggles, but I think there's a lot of things around those struggles that don't need to be taken as seriously as they are.
1: Yeah. And humor is a very important coping mechanism too, for those most intense things that we do deal with. Um, I think about, I don't know, nurses often are very well known for having a black sense of humor because You just got it. When you see that much suffering, you got to be able to get a bit of a laugh because somebody's struggling with their catheter or something. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be able to make some light of the situation. And obviously there's certain social graces you don't want to violate, but you also got to be willing to sometimes, yeah, lighten the load. And I I think that's, that's really interesting that we have that in common because... Your approach, you know, professionally as a marketer, as somebody who works with big brands, I guess, for lack of a better word, like doing some important work. That's something that I never thought that I could do when I've done marketing related stuff. Um, And it seems like I just can't do it for very long either. You know, like I, I can make good videos that are meaningful and my clients are starting to figure that out, you know, when I do when I do work, it's because I believe that what they're doing is important. Um, I'm getting to do a big documentary thing for a mental health-related project in my province. Oh, exciting. Uh, yeah. I don't know when I can announce that, but um, <laughs> I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, the tip-off won't be that big of a deal. But like stuff like that just fires me up because um, I guess I don't like misery. You know, I don't want people to suffer senselessly. And there's a, talking about Jordan Peterson, there's, I think it's the last rule in his newest book, maybe not the last one, but about having gratitude in suffering Mm -hmm. and, you know, intrinsically in thankfulness, I feel like is a, if you had to put an emotion to it, it would be like joy, you know, because you're really grateful for the things going on. And so to have gratitude, even in your suffering is almost like, having joy in your suffering and i can't think of a better way to do that but to help lighten someone else's load you know to to make them laugh or to entertain them in some way yeah deeply it deeply touches on the meaning of my life and what i'm trying to do too yeah
0: yeah no i agree i think lightening someone else's load actually here's a a thing which i think is worth going down Uh, which I've kind of had inner debates with myself. I wonder how um, egotistical it is when you want to help out other people because you know it's going to give yourself a bit of a self esteem boost, right? Uh, I've thought about that before, and then I think, well, it depends how much attention you want for it, I suppose. Right. And you know, if if you're the type of person who actually goes out the way and gives, you know, maybe you donate to charity or you give homeless people money or you you message someone. Uh, late at night and you have calls with them for maybe like four hours when they're going through a depressive episode you know when you've done things like that I think it's okay to feel confident that you're doing it for the fact that you want to help people and not that you want attention for it and that was always a bit of a conflict with me because I thought well I like doing things that involve the stage mm-hmm. and I like acting so does that just mean does that just mean that I just want the eyes on me all the time and then I realized well no I, the thing about the stage is it's probably the most effective way to um, give the most amount of people a bit of pleasure rather than, right. you know, the eyes on you is sort of a, for me at least, a, a side thing. You know, this is why I like working for Michaela and Jordan because I realized, well, I'm really enjoying my work and people are getting a lot from it, but I know I can't be too selfish because I'm behind the scenes of it. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's, that's um, maybe something that you've had concerns with or thoughts of before about how selfish or selfless, selfless mm. it is to help other people.
1: No, I've thought about that too. Um, there's a rapper who I used to follow who I won't mention by name, but they're, they're really well known. And they had posted a video of them making these cardboard boxes with which they give to charity. And it was about like what they do so that when people knock on their door in LA or something like that, who are homeless and they're driving through, instead of giving money, they would give like these care packages. So this seems like a really nice thing, right? Like in principle, that is a great thing to do. But there's some part of my gut that twists a little bit in seeing it on his own Instagram feed promoting this selfless act because suddenly it's tainted by an attention-seeking thing too. It's as if he's pretending he's not aware that him sharing this thing isn't going to have some kind of viral element. And I could see him maybe justifying it and saying, well, if I show that this sort of thing happens, more people are likely to see it because it might go viral and it might inspire some real change in the world. So maybe I need to get over myself and, you know, showcase what I'm doing. And that's an argument that is tough for me to kind of, reconcile with but I think ultimately it wouldn't sit well with my conscience to advertise when I'm doing good and uh, it's a real balance to have when I'm so vulnerable in my work for instance as a rapper like what I can sometimes put out stuff that is it's the balance is like I'm willing to show my flaws and I'm willing to show my struggles but I'm not looking to publicly celebrate my strengths if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um that's up for everybody else if they want to do that and that's fine but it's not my role i also think of like i also think of uh i don't remember where in the bible but about praying uh somewhere like you're supposed to they talk about don't be like the person who prays weeping and wailing and like making a big scene of it it's like better just like go in your room and shut up like you know paraphrasing but it's like go do it quietly all right it's between you and god it's a virtue to that yeah and so i feel like that virtue has kind of gone out the window in modern society because everyone's so so much trying to just get attention for doing good things so but you can often
0: i i I don't mean to cut you off but i think what's good is is um i think for most of us it's quite see-through and as you mentioned with that specific individual that you've seen um i'm not trying to say that they are just doing it for attention but i would be amiss if i was saying i didn't think that was playing a role Mm -hmm. but you know i i knew people at my university and uh on my marketing course and you can imagine there are a lot of sharky people on a marketing course and they have these sort of fake smiles and um we, we learn about this you know you've heard about like elevator pitches right yeah. and about like if you're in an elevator with someone what would you say i hate that exercise and not because not because i i don't think it's good to have a summary of yourself but if the, the, the situation they put you in is like okay imagine you're in an elevator with someone important you have one minute with them go it's like well i don't want to be like hi i'm ben i do this for a living would yeah. you like to know what like i you know i would want to treat them like a human and be like hey how's it going yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't wanna um start trying to trying to bring myself into their lives or always wanting favours off people. You know, everyone's very sharky sometimes. Well not everyone, but I know a lot of sharky people. It's true, yeah. And I think that if you've got a little bit of uh of an of an emotional intelligence, you can see through that quite easily. And you know, you can tell when they shake your hand, you know, how really genuine they are um in how they wanna meet you. So you know, that's that's always been something which has bothered me.
1: Well, I think the creative fields, too, have an influx of people who are often after it for self-aggrandizement. They're often after it for attention, for status, um, even money. Even though, like, you know, statistically, making money from creative endeavors is like zero to nil. It's like not going to happen for most everybody. But it can... Like, it's basically, it's so hard to make money from being creative, even if you're extremely talented, even if you're well-networked, even if you have all the pluses to your account, it's still a challenge. That said, people will still look at the top earners in creative industries, and that'll be inspiration. I think that I've, I've started to learn, I've started to get a bit of a radar when it comes to interacting with people in the industry who are kind of in it for self-gain. And then people who are in it for, you know, to lighten the load, right? Like people who are trying to genuinely use their artistic endeavors to help people to make a difference in the world. And it's often those people that struggle so much with marketing because no one's going to know if you exist unless you, you know, you actually are out there doing stuff. And so how do you make yourself, how do you present your best qualities that will be of interest to people? In a way that does that doesn't feel like you're the one weeping and wailing in the church to get right. attention for yourself. Right,
0: that's it, very true. I, I thank, I thank whichever God there is out there that I have some extroversion and charm to me because otherwise I'd be screwed. I mean, <laughs> so many people are introverted, right? Like introverted creative people. It's it's not easy for them to get out there in the world because I think introverted introverted creative people have some of the best things to offer because they can be very good at isolating themselves and just sitting down and getting on with their work in a lot of cases. Um, but then they're not very good at pushing that work out there. But on the other end, I think that there's a lot of uh, creative people who perhaps aren't particularly good in their field, but they're very good at pushing that yeah. work. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you just get like, uh, how would you describe it? Um, shit covered in sprinkles put in <laughs> your face, you know? So um, it it's difficult for those introverted people. And I don't know, I I wouldn't know what's best to do to help them. Um, But uh, I'm glad I'm not one. Thank God.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that for my listeners who are introverted, one of those things is uh, partner with people who are and who have your best interest at heart and who you can help. A lot of what you do as an artist is, uh, sometimes it's delegation. A lot of it's leadership, right? Like you're working with individuals. You need to work with people who can, play off of your weaknesses and then engage your strengths when necessary. And those relationships might be hard to find. It might be challenging. Maybe you need to if you if you are, you know, financially doing okay, maybe you can hire someone to assist with marketing or publicity or something. But I also find that though introverts like though people can be introverted, everybody seeks connection. And Extroverts can be extroverted for the wrong reasons sometimes because they're they're overly compensating for attention seeking, for instance. They didn't get enough hugs as a kid, whatever it was. They're out there trying to get hugs all the time. And that yes. can be like leechy and problematic for society. But you also get the same thing in introverts. Not every introvert is a precious snowflake. You know, some of them are like some of them are more introverted because of, let's say, past trauma or something that they've been through that challenges them socially, as opposed to their natural disposition. And so I do invite introverted people to challenge themselves in the social sphere um, by trying things different, right? Getting that new environment. Maybe it's not that you suck at talking to people. Maybe you are not around the right people. You know, maybe that's part of it. Um, Maybe you care too much what people think about you, right? But then so I, I kind of feel like, you know, introversion, extroversion, there's tendencies, but there's also a lot of crossover. As introverts, a lot of times, if they're in the right circumstances with the right people in the, in the right little groups or something, they can just unleash and become themselves and they're they're fully out there. That can happen to a lot of, and a lot of extroverted people like me, I can get really leave me alone, please, in the zone when I'm focusing on my stuff because I can't Articulate in that space, and so it's stressful for me to talk to people. I don't know that was a bit of a tangent, but I just feel like no
0: i you know, I, I completely agree with what you said though.
1: Are you extroverted or introverted primarily? you said you extroverted, but like when you were going through the challenges you've been through um not being able to sleep, was that really hard for you to not be able to talk to people at length? <laughs> yes,
0: yes. Imagine, imagine being in a circumstance where you're really extroverted, yet talking to people exhausts you. It's like, it's like people say introverted are the ones, introverted people are the ones that get exhausted by social connection. But imagine if you're an extrovert, extroverted person who gets exhausted by social connection. It's like, what have I done to be Uh forsaken? You know, it's, it's a, it's a really strange mixture. Um, and it was, it was difficult. You learn patience pretty quickly. Um, but I really don't think, I don't know whether it's possible for an extroverted person to become, to, you can learn tenets of introversion, but I could never become introverted. I was still wanting to meet people and talk with people. You know, I was happy to schedule those long, long naps if it meant I could hang out with someone for a bit. I would still go for nights out. Uh, what I would do was my plan for a night out. And here's what I would do. I would probably wake up about like 1 p.m. that day. I would... Um, do my work for a couple of hours and feel pretty terrible while I was doing it and constantly wanting to sleep Mm. then I would reward myself with a three-hour nap for for doing that uh, because that's two sleep sleep cycles I'd wake up still feeling pretty terrible but once I had a a coffee um, I'd be you know I could talk better Um, then I would go outside and get some fresh air I'd go for a walk on my own that would help and then I felt ready enough to go for a night out with some friends and uh, then I would be always the first one who wanted to go home too. <laughs> so, right. But I managed to fit it in. But imagine like you're basing your life around just being able to have that little bit of social interaction because, you know, despite it physically and mentally exhausting you, it emotionally empowers you. So um, it, it was a really strange circumstance, uh, mm. I, I have to say.
1: Do you think that the challenge of that for so long has given you new appreciation or gratitude for, your health now like your ability to have these conversations more frequently
0: yes i'm, I'm always reflecting on it like looking back to where i was you, there was one time i almost cried i was so happy because i looked back and i was like i've got i've come so far from since where i was then it's insane um so it does i get a lot of i feel really grateful for where i am now and i'm glad that you know i remember back in the day i was thinking like because when you get diagnosed by the way with chronic fatigue syndrome, it's very much like one of those um, diagnoses which is like oh this is you know this is forever type of thing people don't really get out of it um, which isn't true by the way it's just the fact that people don't go back to report that they're done with the yeah. chronic fatigue syndrome it's like I'm better. not gonna go back and call the doctors and be like by the way, I'm fine like, <laughs> yeah so they, they don't know how many people recover from it so because it was that was the case I was always thinking like well, can i get through my 20s like this and you know once i reach 30 and you know i want kids i'm like how am i going to manage having a kid if i'm constantly tired all the time and you know just really awful thoughts that i don't think people should have to have and now i'm 23 and i'm like oh okay i, I feel like i've gained years on my life you know mm. so it's uh it's well,
1: it it helps well you have right in a way like I think that appreciation and gratitude probably affects the tenor of the kinds of conversations you have too. You know, like, I could just imagine you not wanting to shrug people off, you know. And like, it's like you really get to engage. Like, you're really here doing this thing. Um, And yeah, you said that. I don't know if extroverted people could become introverted. And I think I kind of agree with that because in my own experience, even if I have a day off to myself, families taking care of, they're doing something. And all right, day day to get some work done. Me in the studio. Yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> I will have like a three hour burst, like where I can like get in the zone and kick some ass and make, do something meaningful that I really like. But then I got to leave. Then I got to go for a walk. I usually always want to call somebody. I don't even need to tell them about it. I just want to talk. It's like, I need these connection breaks if my natural flow is, Being alone, I have to take connection breaks all the time. And the power of the internet for the extrovert has certainly been wonderful um, because, you know, I'm in a small town, but I've been able to connect with so many creatives and people from literally around the world, which is crazy. Yes. From the same I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Extroverted people who also want the best, as we've kind of narrowed it down to uh, are really helpful people to have on your side I, you know again there are some credible uh introverted people and i think it's good what you said before about advice for them because uh they have a lot to give too and um i would like to see them be able to market themselves better because i'll tell you why i'm saying this as well right it's because i have an issue when i go on things like youtube and because youtube's a very big platform for it Ah, there's like extroverted people who get so much attention and they're like terrible
1: yeah it's usually the the loud the squeaky wheel gets the grease right like the loudest person is what gets attention in the scope of the internet and just because you're loud doesn't mean you're worth listening to it just means you're oh, loud
0: yeah and ideologically too the loudest people are the ones that get attention I yeah. mean you know I, I go on linkedin i get annoyed because of some of the content i see i'm like this just feels so ideologically possessed i mean they said the word diversity 20 times, but the post has nothing to do with diversity. It's about like, <laughs> right. it's about how a company is supplying more corn or something, you know? Um, and then I realized, okay, hang on a sec. This I have something ridiculous, right? I have like a thousand connections on, on LinkedIn. And I'm like, this these posts are only coming from the same 15 people.
1: Right. And then I'm
0: like, all right, okay, the world isn't as bad as I think it is.
1: Yeah, so. yeah no, it's... In- there's a silent majority too. There's just a lot of people who just don't have time for bullshit. They just want to. They just want to have. Take just want to take care of their families or have a nice nice place to live with good opportunities for themselves and those that they care about around them. They want to have good health and. Yeah, and that's the way that we're all similar, whether we're creative or not. Um, so yes. I want to. I want to. I feel like we're getting this into a nice bow tie. Um, some of what I've been learning from you but I want to just circle back around for maybe marketing advice or expanding. If there's any other advice you'd have for my audience who are typically very creative people, what is it that you've learned? Anything else we, we, we haven't covered? I'd invite you to spill your guts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I, I definitely have some advice and uh, I think, a lot of it's going to be basic, right? But I think sometimes the basic advice are the ones that we throw off quickly. Cause we've heard it so many times and we just like, ah, oh, uh, whatever. I've heard that before, but honestly, like you can learn so much from so many people. It's ridiculous. Like that's why I do my podcast because, uh, mine's all about learning from other people's experiences. And it's like, I learned so much about my country when I moved to Vienna, Vienna. and I learned so much about myself when I talked to other people and, It's a bit of a yin and a yang situation where you learn a lot about where you come from and who you are by experiencing other people and who they are, and you can form your opinions better. So, my advice to any creative person is that um, start talking with different types of people, and I swear to God, you'll begin to have like more and more creative bursts because you'll begin to understand yourself more, especially when you're in fields like you know, like you are in rap or poetry, or I suppose it expands to everywhere, but you can learn so much more about what you can give by talking to other people and visiting different places because not because that place itself is inherently uh, great or the grass is greener, but because it makes you learn more about what you have. Mm-hmm. So my experience of being tired all the time uh, and having such limited time windows made me appreciate what I can give in those time slots. And I, I realized, okay, how can I condense myself and what I want to give into just four hours? Right, So... I got that. I got sort of a masterclass in that, and I think people can get their own classes in that by talking to other people. And if that's not easy for you, join Facebook groups and things like that where other people are talking to each other, or Telegram groups where you can just kind of observe and learn, um, and try and have conversations with people who don't agree with you on things. But try and talk to people who are actually open to talking, and they're not secretly trying to lecture you on things, because they are the best people for your own growth. So that's, that's my advice. Don't, uh, don't isolate yourself too much, which is why I keep bringing it back to introverts because I think introverts are great and they have more to give, I think than a lot of people, but I think they struggle to connect with other people. So that's what I would say.
1: Yeah. And that's fantastic. It's, it's a very important, it's a very important balance that you've got to learn. It's a dance. You've got to learn to dance, right? And it's going to do so many good things for you going forward. Um, we got pretty deep in this conversation, actually. Like, I, I, really, I really enjoyed how we were able to sit for a minute and even just think about the answers. So I really appreciate your time, uh, you taking all the time. I highly recommend for anybody that they check out your podcast, Ben's Learning Lounge, and not just because I'm going to be on it, but because um, I've listened to several episodes It's fantastic. Ben's a great host. He's able to just like a blank slate almost, like what can I learn from you? And there's a really good example. You have someone on who did um, museum curation, right? Yeah, I did. did.
0: Yeah, Laura. Yeah, I, I know nothing about museum curation.
1: Yeah, and most people don't. And most people wouldn't think to necessarily investigate that. But you're like, tell me more. And you actually learned some really valuable things. Like there's so many different walks of life that have directly applicable things to your own life and in a, in a different scale, it's like what I try to do with my podcast is have creative people on from various disciplines and doing different things because it's that contrast. Like you said, you need to have broader experience so you can contrast. I like this. I don't like that. And you learn more about yourself and then you can dive deeper too in your creative work. Um, yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. Um, where can people find you online and where should they look?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I want to thank you as well because uh, it's it's a, a rare occasion when I'm the one getting interviewed. So it certainly um, put some uh, some new strain in different parts of my brain that aren't used to being <laughs> strained before. So I feel like I've, I've learned a bit about myself from the questions you've asked me. Um, so where people can find me, uh, I, I'm most active on my Instagram, which is at... Uh, real life ben um there's i post all kinds of random random crap on there uh, if people (laughs) want to follow me there random crap (laughs) people (laughs) and of course i have to plug because i work for them uh, and i'm a fan of their stuff if you aren't subscribed to jordan peterson uh michaela peterson please check them out and uh they they make incredible stuff and they teach you a lot about yourself and life and you know, servant here has made his own uh, brilliant rap about Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah. So if you haven't checked that out, check that out. I like I'm advertising stuff on your channel. No, that's now. funny. Well, it's how we do.
1: it's how we connected. Well, I I second what you're saying. Jordan Peterson's been very influential, in particular. And then later, Michaela Peterson. I've started paying attention to her work. And my wife is actually carnivore. Basically, she's got a couple exceptions, mm. but she's seen a lot of benefits in her health because of her immune issues and whatnot. And so yeah, honestly, like I, I listen to both those podcasts and there's so much stupid wisdom out there coming from those two and you're part of that helping the message get out there and yeah, like, thank you for that because it's, it's great stuff and, uh, it's <laughs> constantly evolving me as a person. I'm like, it's one of those things I listen to every week and I get something yeah. out of it. So, yeah,
0: I mean, I wake up every day and I'm like honored by the position that I'm in and like, it. it you think, bloody hell, I'm like a part of this, you know, like I'm part of something where people are actually gaining. yeah. Because you know, Michaela, she's all about, she's healed from like a, a, an awful autoimmune disease through her diet. But also, you know, as you said, you can learn a lot from other people. You can apply it to your own life about perseverance and things. So, you know, there's a lot to be learned from that. And I feel like I relate to a lot there. So, um yeah, it's great to be part of something massive. So I'm, I'm very much counting kind of my blessings every day. And I hope your listeners too, um, I'm sure many of them are, but I hope that they also find their own sort of ways and things and ways that they can help others. And if they're small scale now, um, my extra bit of advice would be, you know, keep collaborating with people too. Uh, because that's also a great way that you can get your word out there and, um, message people because you don't know what you might get from it as, as me and you have. So, um, please, please get yourself out there. And, uh, Don't be shocky about it. Try and go in it with the fact that you want to learn something and that you're trying to get something out from it.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Thank you, Ben. Cutting it right now. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T tcom Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and sane.